Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Uh, today, our guest is John Crossman. Thanks for being on the show, John. Oh, my pleasure. Glad to be here with you. Yeah, John is CEO of Crossman & Company. He's a featured writer and speaker. Uh, he's an expert uh, in managing shopping centers. And I'm looking forward to, forward to getting into this. And John, could you give us a little more background about yourself and, and how you got into this business? Absolutely. So uh, uh, my dad was a pastor and civil rights leader. So I kind of an interesting background that perspective. So it was not raised in the business, but I will tell you that my dad did a lot of uh, helping turn churches around and turn communities around. Sometimes people ask about what's the why, and I think that at my heart, I really love helping out communities. And at the heart of communities is shopping centers. They bring people together, bring families together, and you really have any core healthy environment, shopping centers be a part of that. Uh, so I went to college, I went to FSU and uh, majored in real estate and uh, got out in 1993 and worked for uh, Trimble Crow and uh, the company prior to that was uh, Faison. And that's where I really cut my teeth and learned about retail leasing and retail investment sales. Awesome. So, so what was, I mean, the first initial things as far as getting into the retail part of the business, was that, did you go right into management? Did you do some other stuff in real estate? What did that look like? Well, I did a little bit of research in the beginning. That was part of my early job and really got into retail leasing first. And leasing is a really cool area to start in because uh, for one, it's sort of welcoming of younger people. It's a lot of sales. So you need a lot of high energy to do it. Uh, you can get deals done kind of faster. And so uh, for a younger person that's on commission, that's helpful. Uh, but then the cool thing about it is it's really a foundation uh, of the business. If you can lease space and you understand how to get a building leased, uh, that is crucial to understanding everywhere the business is going. Um, so that's really where I started out at. And today we handle 28 million square feet of shopping centers in eight states in the Southeast U.S. So Leasing is still a heart of what we do. Tell us, you know, you talked about understanding leasing is crucial, crucial, sorry, crucial part of the business. I, I guess walk us through that a little bit. If I'm, uh, you know, if we purchase a property uh, that requires, you know, management like this, what, what's some things about the lease, you know, that, that we need to understand? Sure. Let me, let me tell you a couple of key things that support your listeners to know. The first one is, is that retail uh, oftentimes gets false pressure. And what I mean by that is that in other areas of real estate, uh, people don't uh, try to assume they know what they're doing, but retail, since most people shop, they, they think they, they know, which is dangerous. So let me give you an example of that. If I had a piece of land and I was trying to do a industrial development, I was trying to decide whether I wanted to do grade level or dock high doors. And I went around and in your office environment there, it's just people you knew and said, what do you think? The average person would say, I don't know, and I don't care. But if I had that same piece of property and said, I'm trying to decide whether I want to do a Payway or a T1 Flats or a Starbucks, man, there's tons and tons of pressure on that from people who want different things. And the reality is they probably aren't qualified to know, but they, but they feel like it because they shop themselves. So when you have a retail location that's available, uh, you can have local government, you can have all kinds of people sort of push in. So it's important to know that retail can get some false pressure. And where I'm taking that is, you got to do your research. You got to understand what really does uh, is a match there. The second thing I'd say is that our retail follows. It doesn't lead. And so if you had a retail center that you were looking at acquiring, what I would tell you is that you really need to know the story of the local market. 
And uh, so, so you think about uh, retail is false pressure or retail that follows doesn't lead. Retail is all about sales. It's all about the volume the retailers can do. When a retailer enters the market, there's two things they sort of look at is there's the growth or is there a way to capture market share? So growth looks like is, you know, how is the housing market doing? How's the job market doing? You know, typically an area leads with jobs then housing, then retail. Uh, so if there's growth, there's more people moving there or there's more people vacationing there. That's what's going to attract retailers in there. Or if there's a, um, a retail center that's close by that's doing a crazy amount of volume so they could capture some of that, that's what's key. So those are my sort of quick snapshots, 10,000 feet trying to understand retail if you're looking at a project. Nice. If I am, uh, and let's dive in a little bit as far as if I am looking at a property and looking at a commercial property, I want to syndicate a deal. And you know what do I need to know uh, as far as understanding the the management side of it uh, before we actually go under contract if I'm looking at purchasing a large commercial building uh, you know in a specific market yeah so here's a couple of little things you know not everything but a couple of things that if I were you I'd want to think about and maybe something I wouldn't typically think about one thing I look at is I look at your base sizes and bay depth the reason why I say that is that uh, for a lot of small retail uses uh, anywhere from 800 to 1500 square feet is very desirable uh, when you go beyond 1500, there's really kind of like a diminishing return. And so you might think of like the, the Chinese restaurant or the pizza guy or the dry cleaner, um, nail salon. They may need 900 square feet, they may need 1200 square feet, but they don't need 1700 square feet. So what you want to look at is look at bay depth. And so if you have a 4,000 square foot space, if you could cut that into four 1,000 square foot spaces, that's great. But if it's too deep, then you can try to giant at two 2,000 square foot spaces. They're not as desirable. So that's sort of a little thing, but it's like bay depth, right? And in the size, that 800, square feet, nice size. Another thing you want to look at is just signage. Does, does every space have good signage? You know, sometimes I look at elbow, elbow spaces or shaped like a trapezoid. That's not good. Uh, spaces that are behind fountains or spaces that are second floor. You know, retail is really about simplicity. Is it easy to get to? Is it easy to get in and out of? Is it easy to park? You know, simple things like that, things to look at. Other things I look at is if you could have it, it would be access to retailer sales. If, you could, if there's an anchor tenant, and you have history of their sales, and are their sales trending up, they're trending down, why is that? And then also use clauses, is there any prohibited uses? You know, sometimes you have an anchor tent there that says you can't put in other uses that might be ideal, but you can't put them in the center. Wow. So I guess tell us some things that would be, uh, you know, a big red flag when we're doing our due diligence. You know, when we're going through those things you just mentioned, um, what are going to be some red flags that say, uh, I mean, outside of the, the actual square footage, um, you know, that we're going to say, okay, we're going to stay away from this property, you know, completely. It's just not something we're, we're going to do. Yeah. So here's a couple of things. Obviously, here's the simple ones like slow pays and non-pays. Like historically, people own rent or if they're paying the rent, they're constantly paying slow. And that's kind of obvious. But the other thing that may not be as obvious is uh, going inside the store and see how they're managed, um, seeing how their shelves, are they well stocked? You know, if you see a lot of empty shelves, uh, if you see too many sales, like too much, like it says 50% off, things like that. I think you really got to study like how well managed they are and um, how prepared they are to dealing with, um, you know, online business. You know, like great retailers right now have great stores, but they're also having a lot of deliveries on top of that. So they're matching with that. So I want to see how those stores are managed, how well stocked they are, how clean they are. Uh, one of the most common ways you tell a retailer is how clean are their bathrooms. You know, sometimes that's just a sign of how well managed they are. So I'd like to check those out. And then I also would want to know historic occupancy. Um, has there been a lot of turnover? You know, if, if it uh, has a little bit of a vacancy problem, but the rest of the tenants have been there long term, that's okay. 
but if there's a vacancy problem and the has been turning a lot, uh, that would be concerning to me. One things I look at is uh, lighting in the parking lot. Is it safe? Is there a, has there been any kind of criminal activity that would keep people off property? Uh, like looking at the parking lot, make sure there's no potholes as the, the probably been resurfaced. And I just assume most of the time it needs a new roof. Awesome. So if I'm looking for a management company like yourself, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fixing to purchase a building or that's the route, you know, that I'm, that I'm wanting to go as opposed to say multifamily or some other type of commercial property, you know, how do I know I'm, I'm hiring a top-notch management company like yours? Well, I appreciate that. Um, I think that for one thing, uh, you, you need to know about the company. Um, you know, some companies have the right accounting background that they can handle institutional money and some don't. Uh, it doesn't have to be a big firm. Uh, you know, we're a regional size firm, but there's regional firms or small, small firms. But I would, I, one thing, look at the accounting, but they have the right software that they can it from a reporting standpoint. That kind of jumps out to me. And then the second thing I'd say is that like, uh, regardless of the company, it really is about the person. Uh, like I said, if you looked at a big firm, but the local person isn't strong, uh, the big firm's not going to be able to cover up that. So you have to have a strong local person, both from the leasing and the property management side. And what does that look like? Uh, they've got to understand relationships. They've got to manage, manage relationships. Um, you know, it's like uh, if you need some work done, you want to get three bids. Can they get three bids that are competitive quickly? Uh, what's the response time of issues? Uh, do they ha- know how to handle um, emergency issues? You know, we had an issue uh, earlier this year where I um, – a body was found on our property and it looked like it was just a sad situation where it was a homeless person that passed away. But, you know, lo- working with local law enforcement, understand how to deal with a media issue and things like that. Uh, there's all kinds of things that come up and sometimes they seem like basic, uh, but if you don't have the right proactive person. So I think that's part of your interview process is maybe asking hard questions. How do they handle difficult situations and really understand how well they communicate. So if I'm, I know in the multifamily side, you know, I'm going to interview many property management companies, right? You know, I'm going to actually, I'm going to go in, I'm going to create that relationship. I'm going to talk to them. And I, I'm going to have four and sometimes more pages of questions, you know, to ask them about how they run and operate their business. You know, obviously I'm going to compare those and, and, uh, but what are some, what are some key questions that I need to be prepared to ask say, you know, you, uh, you know, if I'm coming in to, you know, interview you and because I'm considering your company to manage my property or if I'm going into your competitors, you know, what are some things I need to be prepared to ask uh, that maybe I wouldn't normally know of if I'm, if I haven't been in that space very long? Well, first thing that kind of jumps out to me would be to ask for references and ask for references of uh, clients. And I would want to know kind of different kind of clients. Like I would want to know both a private client and an institutional client and clients that have had some longevity. So they've been through some cycles and maybe even clients that work with um, our company or companies like ours uh, through a challenging time, you know, like, like through hurricane season, you know, how does the company respond to those kind of things? So I would want to definitely touch references. I probably also want references from a vendor side. I'd like to know a couple of vendors they've talked to or worked with and how were they to work with? Cause that's obviously a big part of the part of the work. And then um, in the interview process, I'd like to ask them about, uh, the basic stuff, so the reporting, how's reporting, how often, and then I'd like to know how they handle challenging situations and uh, what they think is a standard protocol. Nice. I guess give us an example of some challenging situations that are specific to this type of industry as opposed to multifamily or some other type of commercial property. Oh, I think a big one would be is like uh, dealing with weather, you know, like uh, again, out of a hurricane season and uh, preparing for it and then what happens if a power goes out on property uh, and how, how are you going to ha- how are you going to handle that 
Um, I'll tell you one that's very unique is that uh, we have a property that's right near uh, where the Pulse nightclub was, where they had the uh, terrible tragedy a couple years ago with the shooting. And um, part of the challenges and the recovery of that is, is on the, the emotional tragedy of it is uh, because of the media, intense media around there, some of our tenants that had a property close by couldn't, their employees couldn't get to the property. Um, so they couldn't open for business because they couldn't get their staff in because of all the media and different things going on there. And so it was important to get ahead of that and uh, help them notify their insurance companies that they might even make an insurance claim. Um, and so that might have not seemed obvious to a lot of people of all the different complications of that, but trying to get ahead of those kinds of things uh, is key. So if I'm looking at a property like this and, you know, how much could your company be involved with helping with, you know, due diligence and, and as far as figuring out who the tenant should be or, or um, you know, just helping me through that process of due diligence? Sure. Well, uh, uh, it depends on the client because sometimes it's a lot, sometimes a little. But I will tell you that we have, have, we have clients that we've had for 28 years. And uh, when I say we do everything, we do everything. So we, uh, you know, we cold call, we find all the tenants, we uh, uh, take them with the process, get them in the space, and then manage it, run them, you know, do all the landscaping. There's a, is there construction or a redevelopment? We do that. Uh, and certainly we've had clients who um, put a property in our contract and then bring us in during the due diligence process of acquiring the property. And we do that. And then we've also had clients who have had wanted to purchase a property in Boston prior to that to help them identify the property or get the property under contract for them. Uh, so we're very actually involved in the entire process. Are there properties that you won't manage? Are there properties won't manage? You know, it's funny you say that. I, I don't know that there's a property that we wouldn't manage um, unless, you know, obviously a situation if I felt like we weren't qualified for some reason, yes. But what hit me when you when it hit my head when you said that is, there's clients we won't manage for. Uh, we have fire clients. Um, there's certain companies we won't manage for. And I'll give you an example is that, um, I want to say a name obviously, but if there's a company where they, um, they don't pay their bills on time, you know, if they're a person that is not uh, with integrity, they're not going to do the right thing. They're not going to pay a vendor. Uh, we're not going to do business with people like that. And we, we part ways with clients before too. Even clients that were paying us, we just didn't feel like they were a match. Um, so I think you got to be in a, you know, if you do a sale with somebody, you, you, you dispose of property for somebody or a sale with some capacity, it's a one-shot deal. But when you're managing with people, uh, that's like a marriage. And uh, so you've really got to invest and know that you're on the same page about what's the, what's the right thing to do in challenging situations. I will tell you that during the recession, there was a, little, there was a time that I had a, a landlord I talked to. And later that day, I talked to one of the, the largest tenants in the center. And in both meetings, both the landlord and tenant were in tears. Uh, just the stress of the situation of, of the recession and all things. And um, I, was, I was sad that the client was, my client was so sad. But in a way, I was, I was happy in the sense that they were feeling, even though they're a wealthy person, they were feeling the burden of the tenants. They cared so much about what was happening. And that was really a match for, for us as far as like, we're going to be in there deep and we'll help these clients out. So we do a lot of uh, receivership work and so it's a lot of foreclosed properties. And one time we had a client that proposed on a property that was retail first floor and multifamily on the top. And um, the multifamily was a lot of college students. And that, that posed some pretty interesting things that we're not, that's not our bag. If I had to do that one over again, or if I asked you it again, I, I would bring in another company just to handle those, those kinds of issues. But if it's retail, it's retail and we're match values wise, we're, we're interested. We've done from, from own anchor shopping centers all the way to regional malls. So anything that's spectrum or retail, we, we, very interesting handling. 
So how about uh, tenants? I mean, I assume most of these properties have a master lease. Is that right? Like an anchor tenant, you mean? You're right. Yeah, at least one, yeah. Yeah, and so what are some, you say anchor tenant. Could you explain kind of what that is in case a listener hasn't heard that term before? Yeah, so like if it's a a grocery anchor shopping center, the anchor tenant would be Publix or Kroger, depending on what region, Safeway, uh, what region of the country you're in. Um, or that you might look at a, um, a lifestyle center, and what really defines a lifestyle center is entertainment. So usually it's like a movie theater. So that'd be your anchor. Could be could be a gym. Um, if you look at a power center, power center is a lot of big box tenants. So that could be like a, a Best Buy, Marshalls, a Ross. Uh, those would all be anchor tenants in power center. And then you'd have like a regional mall, which would include maybe a Macy's and a JC JC Penney. So those are all be examples of anchor tenants for properties. Obviously, you know, this type of management and this type of properties is not something I'm very familiar with. But, uh, you know, wh- what else should I be asking you as far as a, a management company uh, of a retail shopping center that you could uh, just some value you could provide to the listeners that, that maybe they need to know or, um, you know, about this type of industry and business of the retail? You know, they're in the syndication business. They're they're going to syndicate a commercial property. What else do they need to know or need to be asking you? Well, again, I, I'll tell you, it's like retail is one of those things that, you know, because all the shop it seems like it'd be easy to understand. And I would tell you that you've got to get an expert wherever you are that really understands the industry. And so um, let me so give you some specific answers we're talking about. So first thing is in the retail business, you have some tenants that you do the same business with over and over and over again. So uh, for example, if you lease space and the shops are in a subway and you bought 50 shopping centers, well, subway might be in 40 of them, right? Or you know, all kind of tenants you could, you could name that are national tenants. So if you had a problem with them in one space um, and uh, maybe you get really sideways, that can impact you in another center. And so sometimes when I met people who are not retail people, they'll take these very aggressive stance with a retailer and how they're going to treat them really harshly. And I've had to tell people over time over the years, like, hey, listen, man, you're going to see that tenant over and over and over again. You're going to be talking the same contact over and over and over again. You may not want to have that, that, that same tactic. Um, then I've said the same thing to tenants. I've had tenants sometimes been hard to deal with. And I'm like, guys, this is a business where you're going to deal with the same people over and over again. You just might want to think that through. Now, not everything's a match. And so sometimes it just doesn't work out. Uh, but I think that's very unique. The second unique thing I would tell you is that, you know, if you're leasing an office building and you're dealing with, um, you know, architects, engineers, and lawyers, and bankers, that's great. When you're leasing a retail shopping center, you're dealing with a lot of different people who are entrepreneurs, um, and they may be relatively new to the United States and they're risking everything to start a business. And uh, English may not be their first language, but I will tell you many, many of those businesses do phenomenally well and they risk everything and then they work really hard and make it. I had a shopping center, one of my favorite shopping centers I ever worked on, and we had tenants from nine different, uh, different nationalities in one shopping center. And I love that about my business. I love meeting different people and hearing their different stories and learn about where they're from and, and their passion for doing whatever business they're doing. And I think that if you're in this business, you got to understand that you know, one day you might be dealing with a, a national tenant and the next day you might be dealing with somebody that's um, their English is not, is not perfect, uh, but they're the perfect tenant for that property and they're doing a super job. And so that's a, that's a unique aspect that, that is retail. And I think an ideal uh, retail property in my mind would have uh, local tenants, would have regional tenants, and would have national tenants. And all those tents would be committed to that local community. And that's what makes a great retail property, in my opinion. That's great. Uh, well, John, uh, you've been a 
fantastic guest. I really appreciate you being on the show. And would you tell the listeners how they can learn more about you and your business? And and also, I know you got a book. Please tell us about it. Yeah. Uh, So I'll I'll mention this. Let's grab this. So they want to get in touch with me. You know, it's it's Crossman and Company. So welcome to get in touch with me, uh, crossmanco.com. And if they're looking to lease space anywhere in the Southeast U.S., again, we have 28 million square feet, 400 shopping centers. And then go to our website, uh, crossmanco.com. All of our shopping centers listed on there with all the vacancy. Everything's on there. So they're expanded businesses that check us out. If they uh, are syndicators and they ramp up, want to buy centers, we do sell centers. And so they can contact me. I can put them right in touch with the right person. And if they're ever buying a center, they need an operator. That's, that's what we do. We're happy to do it. In addition to that, I do a lot of public speaking. Um, I work a lot with college students. And I took one of the most requested lectures I have and made it to a book. And that book is right here. And it's called Career Killers, Career Builders. And so if you know anybody that's young and um, looking to ramp up their career, maybe they're in the college or a, a millennial in their 20s, recommend they check this book out. If you happen to know any of your uh, listeners that um, uh, are looking to get into real estate, um, if they go to my website, I have a guide to commercial real estate. It's free. And I wrote that for college students and young professionals that are trying to get into commercial real estate business. So I hope any of all those things will be resources to people. That's great. We'll, we'll definitely have all that in the show notes. And uh, I hope the listeners will reach out to him. And uh, I hope you all will subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will talk to uh, you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital. Making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.